0: So today we're going to take a little detour out of Acts for a very important discussion. And it's going to be very heavy on that, quote, Bible teaching from end to end part, okay? So there's this discussion that we've been referencing a lot. Peyton and I reference it a lot, other reference it. And it's raised some questions for some people. So I felt like since... uh, We kind of had a week that we didn't expect to have. You know, we're expecting to be out at Clover Hill. We didn't have that week, or we got that week back, so to speak. This would be a good time to have this discussion because I want to make sure we're all on the same page, and I want to be clear. I'm giving you scripture. I hope you will follow me and where I'm going. If it's difficult or if you don't understand or if you disagree, let's talk about it. Let's all learn together, okay? I'm not trying to cram this down your throat and say, you have to agree with everything I say. Get out. All right, so for anybody that spent very much time in the American church, we will often hear a discussion about the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. Anybody ever heard that discussed? Surely, everyone's heard that discussed, okay? So we'll hear phrases like the New Covenant with Jesus replaces the Old Covenant. Anybody ever heard that? Okay, Then we might expand that discussion a little bit and say the law in the Old Testament is done. It's finished. Jesus came to fulfill it. He completed it. Anybody heard that? Okay. So what if I start right out of the gate today with a really blunt statement that I believe both of those statements are biblically incorrect? Now when he prayed out the religious spirit if it's still here that don't well first of all it has to go in Jesus' name but second of all don't prejudge where i'm going until you hear me out listen to the teaching don't just tune it out because you think it i just said something totally sacrilegious and if you get up and leave right now everybody's gonna know you were the one i hope nobody's feeling that way and i hope nobody that listens to it online feels that way for listening online they can just hit pause go to the next thing But remember, as we examine the book of Acts, we just saw Stephen get stoned to death because he challenged the norm. Now I gotta step back for a moment for something funny. Two weeks ago, I said, has anyone in here ever been stoned? I meant physically had thrown stone at, stones thrown at them, I did not realize what I (laughs) asked. So when a few people raise their hands, I'm like, who's throwing rocks at you? (laughs) It's okay. They've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Sorry about that question that I was totally oblivious to. I'm not going to ask that again. Okay. Stephen got stoned to death with rocks, not smoking weed he got stoned to death because he challenged the norm the teachers were set in their ways and they were not willing to learn something new they had been taught this from birth and it's all they knew and the teachers weren't open to jesus they weren't open to the holy spirit and they called it blasphemy and they killed the man so it shouldn't shock us that there's this religious world out there that teaches incorrect things and is not willing to be open-minded and listen now I probably won't get stoned for this sermon. I definitely am not getting stoned after this sermon. But there will be people calling themselves religious with a religious spirit that just won't want to hear this, and that's okay. I am going 100% Scripture today, 100%. And I'm not really going to give you my opinion. Uh, I probably can't help but give you my opinion through sarcasm, but I'm going to try not to give you my opinion. I'm going to read Scripture And I'm going to ask you questions so you can make your decision on where you land. See, that's what Jesus often did to the religious leaders. They asked him questions to try to pin him. And he just simply asked them questions back to pin them back and put it back on them. So I'm not expecting that most of you are going to question what I say today. But I do think there are people in our backyard, in our community, that will say things like, what is Jason teaching over there? why do i think that that will be said because within the last two weeks i've been told that was said okay and i've had someone in our congregation get their feathers ruffled over something that has been said so we're going to dig into it together and be on the same page you can think i'm crazy they can think i'm crazy it's okay i'm just teaching the bible and most of the prophets were thought to be crazy But remember earlier this year we said we're going to get off the baby milk and get onto some adult food? This is adult food. This is like hard to digest adult food. So I know everybody's tired, but you're going to have to wake up and get a little bit of energy, maybe go get some coffee, except for Jacob because he spilled his coffee everywhere this morning. And this may be one you got to go kind of listen to later and re-digest it a little bit. This may be a chew-the-cud discussion. So to start, to begin digging in, we are going to establish that there are three separate conversations to have today. Okay? Here's the problem. The American church lumps all three into one discussion. There's three different discussions. Number one, covenants. Old versus new, replaced versus built on. Can everybody say covenants? Covenants. That's discussion one. Discussion two is the law. Everybody say law. Law. Does the law apply to us? We're Gentiles, right? Doesn't apply to us. Or does it? Did Jesus complete the law, fulfill the law? What did he do? Discussion number three, the sacrifice method. Pre-Jesus, you sacrifice doves and bulls and goats and sheep and other things. Jesus comes, and he replaces the sacrifice system. So you got it? Three discussions. Say it with me. Covenants, the law, sacrifice method. All right. I'm going to start doing that more, making you do it out loud. I'm going to try to keep you awake through this. This is going to be a deep dive, and I cannot promise you this is going to be normal length, okay? This one may be a little long, but I'm going to try to go through it as quickly as I can. So first, let's start with this discussion about covenant, and I'm going to tell you, don't worry. When we're 30 minutes into covenant, your mind is going to go, holy moly, he's got two more to go. Okay. Covenant's the big one. Law's a little lot faster and sacrifice method. We've kind of already covered it. Okay. So bear with me through covenant. Don't get lost in my gosh. You know, I could walk to Lenore city and back by now to get my food. Okay, we're good. Somebody said, "Let's define biblically what a covenant is." We got to go Hebrew, we got to go Greek to have this discussion, okay? We got to get out of this mindset that everything we read in English is perfect. Someone told my son not long ago, "I don't need to look at the Greek. I have it in English." Well, you need to go look at the Greek. You can see how different it is from the English sometimes, okay? Hebrew covenant is the word berith. Barista, <laughs> I don't know. Breathe, okay? You'll never forget that. Breathe. It occurs 284 times in the Old Testament. Breathe. What do you think when I say covenant? What is the first thought that comes to your mind? What was that? Rainbow? The what? To cut? To cut? Okay. Covenant means to cut. Okay. All right. You want to know what bereath means? (laughs) An alliance. The Hebrew word means in union with, a pledge. We often say a contract. Most Christians will say it's a contract. I think that's a terrible way to look at it because the more appropriate word is it's a promise. God says, I'm going to make an alliance with you. I'm going to make a pledge to you. I'm going to make a promise to you. If you were here for pre-service worship, we had four songs and added one. Those four songs were all focused around God's promises. This is a super important discussion because how do we rely on God's promises if we think they're done and gone away with? Just getting a little ahead of myself there. Okay, so everybody got that brief? You don't have to remember that for the rest of it. Just remember that when I say covenant, I mean, thank you. Thank you, Jacob. All right, in the Greek, we got another word called diathike. Probably not saying that right. Peyton will correct me later. Diathike. It's a little different but very similar. It's an arrangement of any sort. So it's when you make an arrangement with someone. It's an arrangement of any sort which one wishes to be valid, so it's important. Also, it could be the last disposition which one makes on his, of his earthly possessions after a death. So it's kind of like a will or testament. Kind of like, I'm dying, but I have written out what I want for you to have, which is a promise. Okay? So they both loosely mean promise together. They have a little bit different way they're coming about it. All right? Let's look at when breathe first appears in the Bible. Anybody know when that is? When does covenant first appear in the Bible? Noah. Noah, But what with Noah? Good guess. That's the second time. The first one is in Genesis 6.18. God is telling Noah, but I will establish my covenant with you. I will establish my promise, my alliance, my pledge with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons, wives with you. Does everybody realize that God did not go to Noah and say, Noah, build an ark? And three days later, Noah had an ark. Does anybody know how long it took Noah to build an ark? Somebody said a 100 years So wouldn't that promise be really important to Noah? Noah, I'm asking you to build an ark, and I'm going to make a promise to you. And that promise is for the next hundred years, essentially. And you're going to go with your family onto this ark. Why? Skip to verse, I'm sorry, go back one verse, verse 17. It says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. So God says, I'm going to destroy everything. It's going to be 100 years from now, but Noah, I make a promise to you that you're going to be okay if you do what I say. Build the ark. Get on it with your family. Get on it with your wife. Get on it with your sons. Get on it with their wives. I have a promise. Okay, that's the first promise made. Is that a forever promise? No. 100 years. God's not promising Noah today he's going to get on the ark, Right? That's a one-time promise that lasted for 100 years, and then God fulfilled that promise, okay? Now, let's look at the next promise, because this is the one Parker referenced, also the one Jennifer referenced. Second covenant comes in Genesis 9, so we're going to skip ahead three chapters. Genesis 9, verses 8 and 9. So that first covenant, remember, was very specific to Noah and his family, but it expands here. He says, Then God said to Noah and his to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. This is a different promise. The first promise was, I'm going to protect you and your family. This one says, I extend my promise to your offspring. How many of you are offspring of Noah? If you haven't raised your hand, please do. If you are not offspring of Noah, we have a totally different situation today. (laughs) Just for clarity's sake, we are all descendants of Noah. Everyone died, we're not gonna go conspiracy theory, we're not gonna go all these theories of a Nephilim hung onto the ark and all that. The promise is, the promise is, everything, oh, the promise is everything on earth shall die, except Noah and his sons and their wives on the ark. Okay. <laughs> Lost in my notes. So let's stop. Oh, I already did that. All right. So the second covenant, this is the second covenant that God makes between himself and man. Genesis nine eleven. I established my covenant, my promise with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So, the first covenant was with God, I mean with Noah, God, and Noah's children. The second covenant is expanded and it includes all of us. Right? How many of you believe the earth will never be flooded again? Well, I thought the old covenant got replaced. Oh, but we still believe in that old covenant. Okay. Picking and choosing here. All right. God's never going to flood the earth again. You're taught that in the same church that you're taught that the old covenant's gone. But this covenant says it's everlasting. Okay? I'm being facetious for a reason to get to a point. Genesis nine fourteen through 16, God is promising a covenant. When I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my promise to you, Noah, and your offspring. I will remember my covenants between me, you, and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all the earth. When the rainbow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting. Can everyone say everlasting? Everlasting. How long does everlasting last? Okay, good. Then it's very good that you agree that it lasts forever and you still believe in that covenant. Okay, I've accomplished that rainbow represents god's promise never to flood the earth again he will destroy the earth again but not by flood okay we're taught that we're taught it in church we believe it the key word there is everlasting that comes from a hebrew word olam olam means forever and always just so we are clear that everlasting means forever okay so god promises noah with this covenant This is not just for your sons. This is for all of your offspring. Oh, that's us too. And he said, it's going to last forever. It's in black and white right there. Then along comes a man named Abram. We often call him Abraham, but this is before his name's changed. So God speaks to Abram. We're going to skip ahead to Genesis 15, 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant, a promise to Abram. He said, to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So we have a new promise. He didn't say the rainbow's gone. He didn't say my promise not to flood the earth is gone. He said, I got a new promise for you. Your descendants are going to get land. Now we're going to discuss in a minute if we're descendants of Abraham. You are all descendants of Noah. I don't know that any of you are descendants of Abraham. Maybe you guys a little bit or something. I don't know what Jewish content you have okay genesis 17 2 that i may make my covenant my promise between me and you god still talking to abraham and may multiply you greatly so the first promise to abram is you're going to get all this land the second promise is you're going to get all these descendants genesis seventeen four. behold my promise is with you my covenant and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations you're not only getting a bunch of people you're getting a bunch of nations Genesis 17, 7, and I will establish my covenant, my promise between you, me, you, and your offspring after after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So, God, in about three chapters, there has just made at least four covenants with Abraham that are all different. I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you descendants, I'm going to give you nations. And I will be their God. Okay? So, first promise that lasts forever is I'm never going to destroy all humans with a flood, ever. Second promise that lasts forever is building on the first promise. It didn't replace the first promise. I promise you land, I promise you descendants, and it's everlasting. That's a key word. And here's the cool thing. The best promise of all, I think, in there is the promise that God says, I'll always be your God. That's a big promise. So, question for you. When God said these three promises, or four, however you want to look at this, to Abraham, did it erase or replace the covenant with Noah? No. Not at all. Now. We're all offspring of Noah, but are we offspring of Abraham? Wait, I'm going to go to the New Testament to answer that, because I've got all the religious people fired up right now by Old Testament scripture. Romans eleven eleven. So I asked, did they stumble? This is Paul talking. Did did they stumble in order that they may fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So Israel denied Jesus. That opened it up for the Gentiles. That's most of us. Okay? Then if you skip ahead to verse 17, I'm not going to read all of it, but 17 through 24 is talking about branches broken off of a tree. So God had a tree. He broke off the branches that didn't accept Jesus, and then the Gentiles got grafted in. So he took this dead branch, that's you and me, most of us, and he sticks it into a live tree, and all of a sudden we became descendants of Abraham. And we get these promises of, I'll be your God. This is hugely important to our faith. Now there's some other things in there. Don't be arrogant towards the branches that got ripped off. Don't be arrogant towards the Jewish like, hey, you big dummies, you missed it. He's very careful here. He says, and be careful because if they were broken off, you can be broken off too. So this is a very serious thing. It's not like we got grafted in for once and always. We were grafted in. And it says, note then the kindness and the severity of God. The kindness to graft you in. The severity, I'll rip you back out if I have to, okay? And it says here in verse 23 that even the Jews, if they don't continue in their unbelief, will be grafted back in as well. And that's God's desire. But because he tore those branches off, we got to get in, okay? Is everybody with me on that? So we got this analogy of a tree, got some original branches, descendants of Abraham, cut off. But through our belief in Jesus and their unbelief, we as Gentiles get grafted in, sort of like adopted. When you get adopted into a family, you get the promises of that family. You're now part of the will, so to speak. Okay? So if we're grafted into the family of Abraham, then are we grafted into the promise of God's covenant with Abraham? Answer? All right, I agree with you. Now, here's an interesting question. Did God's covenant with Abraham cease because the Jews didn't believe? Did he stop his covenant, his promise, because they didn't believe? Because he could have. But he promised it would be everlasting, so he couldn't have. Who violated God's covenant with Abraham? Did God violate it? Or did the Jews violate it? Some of the Jews, good point. All right, so let's step back. God started an alliance, a promise with Noah. He built on it with Abraham. He did not replace it. He built on it with Isaac. He built on it with Jacob. He built on it with a promise to Moses. Now, I could stand up here for three hours and take you through the Isaac, the Jacob, but we're going to skip to Moses, okay? For time's sake, we're going to skip to Moses because this is where it starts to get a little hairy for us Christians because so far no one's disagreed, even anyone that teaches down the road. Oh, yeah, you got the promises of Noah, and you got the promises of Abraham. Oh, but Moses entered the scene, and everything changed because we don't know how to differentiate a discussion about covenants and law. Deuteronomy 7, 9, Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God and the faithful God who keeps his covenant. Keeps it. That's a key word. He keeps his covenant and steadfast love with who? Those who love him and those who keep his commandments. To a thousand generations. So, A, we're told right here in this one verse, he keeps his covenant. B, we're told he keeps it with those who love him and do what he says. That's where the law and instructions come in, and we'll get to that in a minute. C, he keeps it for a thousand generations. Anybody know how long a generation is in today's terms? 20 to 30 years. So going conservative, he just said he keeps it for 20,000 years. We're in year 57, what, 83? Forever, everlasting for a thousand generations. That's way past where we are. Now his commandments there is this word that Peyton has mentioned called mitzvah. Can everybody say mitzvah? And he'll probably make fun of me for how I said that wrong later, too. It means simply God's instructions. We often translate this to God's laws. Which would you rather have, a law or an instruction? Yeah, and that's what the word means. We're the ones that made it into a much more difficult word called law. Oh, there's a Greek word, too, that pops up in the New Testament here in a little bit. You got mitzvah in Hebrew and you got nomos in Greek. Both of them mean God's instructions, and we call both of them law in our translations. We're not ready to move on to the law discussion yet, but I'm just introducing these words to get your mind going. Let's go back to scripture because I'm not sure I've convinced you that God will keep his covenants forever. Psalms 105, 8 through 11, he remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. And he's about to confirm something I said earlier, but I didn't take you through scripture on. The covenant he made with Abraham his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel. An everlasting covenant saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion of your inheritance for an inheritance. So we're told right there in those three verses forever, everlasting bills from person to person. Not replaced each time built. Psalms 111.5, He provides food for those who fear Him, who are in awe of Him. He provides for our needs, and He remembers His covenant forever. Judges 2, one through, I'm not sure I've got the right verse here. I think it's verse 2 of Judges 2. Now, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Baquam, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Forever, everlasting. I will never break it. Psalms 89:34, I will not violate my covenant. We're just getting these promises after promises. Daniel 9:4. Daniel says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Didn't we just say that in Deuteronomy 7, 9? Verbatim. And guys, I can give you many, many, many more verses. But I'm going to stop right here, and I'm going to state something that Peyton said a couple weeks ago, and we've said it before, and this is going to be really harsh for some. If you tell me that God did away with his old covenant after he promised so many times of what we just went through, and we didn't cover them all, If you tell me he broke his covenant, he finished his covenant, he did away with his covenant after he promised he wouldn't, you've at best called God double-minded. And you've called him a liar. Why would I say double-minded? Because there's all this scripture, he said, keep it forever. But now we say, but it changed in the New Testament. God did not change his mind. It says he is the same today, yesterday, tomorrow. I may not have gotten that in the right order, but you get the point. And he is his word. God does not lie. We are told that. He is not a liar, and we're calling him a liar, so this is very serious. I take this very serious. He has plainly said forever, everlasting, will not break, will not violate, Uh, but his covenant's gone because there's a new covenant in town. My next question, if the new covenant replaced the old covenant, which one? Which one? If covenants listed 284 times, I'm not saying that's 284 different covenants, but there's a lot of covenants, so which one did it replace? That is a serious question. I'm not trying to be as sarcastic as it sounds. Which old covenant did it replace? Because we agreed it didn't replace the flood in the earth one, didn't replace the I'm your God forever one, didn't replace the one where you were promised to be Abraham's descendant because you got grafted in. You're all cool with those. Oh, but I don't like the one about the law, so let's say it replaced that one. I just can't read all these scriptures and reconcile a statement that a new covenant replaced an old statement, an old covenant. Let's go to the New Testament. Galatians 3.13, and I'm sorry I'm like throwing scripture at you left and right. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Doesn't say redeemed us from the curse of the old covenant. Says he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, hang on to that word, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So the word blessing here is eulogia. Eulogia means fine discourse. When someone dies, what do you do at their funeral? You give them a eulogy. You talk about their life. You say nice things about them. That's where that word eulogy comes from. It means fine discourse, polished language. So it's something you mean to say. You think about it. You say it the right way. So these two verses by Paul say that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming our curse, so that we can have the same discourse with God that God had with Abraham. Doesn't that sound like saying you can get the same promise? Because that discourse that God and Abraham had was around Abraham getting a promise. The same covenant. Jesus became a curse. And that did involve the law. Jesus Redeemed us from the curse of the law so that we could have the covenant of Abraham. Do you see the distinction there between law and covenant? Okay. This scripture actually helps confirm my argument that Jesus helped bring to us, the Gentiles, the old covenants, the old promises. And now the beauty is we have this promise that God will be our God forever. See, without the old covenant, where is my promise? What am I doing this for? So I can go do everything I want to do and Jesus' blood covers it? No, I want to obey. I want to love God. I want to obey God so I get his promises. So he will always be my God. So I get the promises that he gives to all these people. And because the law curses me, I need Jesus. We're getting there. With Jesus, though, the covenant was expanded. Okay, the promise got better. Every promise got better. I'm not going to kill you, Noah. I'm not going to flood the earth again, Noah. Abraham, you're going to have a lot of descendants. Abraham, you're going to have a lot of land. Abraham, I'm going to be your God. Do you w- wouldn't you think the promise that I'm going to always be your God's a little bit better than I'm going to save you on this wooden structure? What are you saving me for? What's the purpose if we're the only ones left? The promises just keep getting better and better and better if you start in the Old Testament and read it all the way through. The covenant does get better with Jesus because the alliance has now been expanded to allow us to have the Holy Spirit living in us not just in the old covenant where god said i'm going to pick you and you get the spirit and you get the spirit now we have a new promise the promise got better now you believe in jesus we all get the holy spirit do you see what i'm saying the covenants build on each other now we got to go to the religious arguments i got you all hooked and then i'm going to i'm going to go contradict everything i said you ready Jason, you obviously haven't read Hebrews 8:13. Hebrews 8:13. I'll read it to you. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete, growing old is ready to vanish away. Man, alive, doesn't that just contradict what I've been telling you for the last 30 minutes? Can something go away, though? Can something be done? Can something be finished if God promised it forever? See, that's a conflict. And this is the very thing that people go take New Testament studies and and college and walk away from Christianity because they go, I heard all these promises in the Old Testament, and you convinced me, Jason, but then I read this in Hebrews that says you're exactly wrong, so God contradicted himself. He is double-minded aha, let's dig in. See, when I see discrepancies, I say, let's dig in. And we got to go to Greek, got to go to Greek, okay? New is kanos. It means recently made, fresh, unused, recent, unworn. I made a comment two weeks ago that we would be better off to say that Jesus was a renewed covenant, and and I really meant he's a fresh covenant. I'm, I'm saying you can enter in all those words, but the word is kanos. We can use new there. But let's look at that word covenant because here's your mic drop moment of the day. Somebody give me a drum roll. Okay. Because remember that thing said in speaking of a new covenant, guess what? Go look at the Greek. There's no word covenant there. It was added by the scholars. Doesn't that change everything? Everything. Let me read it to you more up- Accurately in Greek, the old is worn out and needs to be refreshed. Jesus is talking about the sacrifice method. He's not talking about the covenant. He's not saying the old promises are worn out. Would you ever get worn out with knowing God is your God? How could the Son of God come and say, the promise of my daddy being your God's worn out? I'm just using common sense. I don't need a seminary degree. I don't need a man to sit in a pulpit that's been preaching for 30 years to tell me. I was given a little bit of common sense by the Lord Jesus when I was made. And it's all, all I'm asking us to do is have a little bit of common sense to say these things don't line up. When it doesn't line up, dig deeper, and you dig deeper and find out the freaking word doesn't exist. John told me to watch my language. Here's a question for you. Let's say you have a rough day. Let's say you're very tired. Do you go home and replace yourself at the end of the day? Or do you rest and get renewed? So God can renew his promises without replacing his promises. Okay? So if I, it doesn't even matter if it's renewed or new, it's more about new or renewed, did not replace old covenant, did replace old sacrifice system. All right. Oh, but there's more discrepancies. I love this. I don't love it, but I love finding them. We got to back up a few verses. Hebrew 8, 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is better. Whoa, that just told me that Christ has a new covenant that replaces the old again. Oh, man, there's no word old there in the Greek manuscripts. The better translation is Jesus is a better promise doesn't say replace the old promises it just says he's a better promise and he's the mediator of a better promise we need a mediator especially me sometimes god's promises were not replaced they were made better by jesus this is a hallelujah moment hallelujah you can call jesus a new promise a new covenant i don't care it does not replace the old promises by the way, this was written to a group of people that were still doing sacrifices at the temple with high priests. So why would Jesus, why would the writer, I about said Paul, because everybody says he wrote Hebrews. Whoever wrote Hebrews, why would they go and say, you guys are doing it wrong. Jesus replaced all this because they were still making sacrifices. All of Hebrews is about Jesus as a new sacrifice and you don't need the high priest anymore. And I don't know why humans won't accept that, but Catholicism has never accepted the the release of the high priest. And if that offends somebody, they need to go read Hebrews. This was written to a group of people that were still trying to sacrifice for their sin. They were still going to the high priest, and the writer is saying, no, Jesus replaced the old sacrifice system. Jesus is the high priest. You don't have to go do all that anymore. You don't have to go to a high priest anymore. So why would men add in words? I don't know, because men are flawed and double-minded, and God is not. God is not a liar. Man's born evil. So that's why we need a better promise in Jesus. Hebrews 8, 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, wait a second, they found fault with God's covenants now, there would be no occasion to look for a second. You guessed it. Covenant not there. Add it again. It's talking about the sacrifice method. If the first sacrifice method had been faultless, there would be no need for a second. God never promised his sacrifice method was going to last forever. He promised him being their God, you not having a flood again. He never said, this is your sacrifice system. It will be everlasting. I cannot find that. So, therefore, God can say, I decided to change the sacrifice method. You with me? Then, okay, so, so we kind of got covenant out of the way. We kind of got sacrifice method out of the way. You ready for the law? You ready? This one gets hairy. And he, in verses 8 through 12 of that chapter there in Hebrews, he quotes Jeremiah 31. And there's something in Jeremiah 31 that's going to make some religious people get real uncomfortable. It says, Behold, the days are coming. So this is pre-Jesus. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, the Lord God, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I'm not arguing he didn't make a new covenant with Jesus at this point, okay? It's a new covenant, not like the covenant I made with their fathers. He didn't say it, replaced it. He just said, You've never seen one like this before. So It's good. That's why. He says, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will put my nomos in them, my instructions. Wait a second. In Jeremiah, it says, I mean, it says, uh, uh, mitzvah. In Hebrew, it says nomos. It's the same thing. He is saying in Jeremiah, I will put the law in their hearts. Bear with me, because you're thinking I'm saying we got to totally abide by the law. Just bear with me, okay? He says, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. He has reiterated a promise that I will be their God. They will be my people, okay? He says, I'm going to make a new covenant. The Hebrew word here is hadas, which means new or fresh. A better, a new, a fresh covenant. That's what we talked about when we talked about the Greek word kainos. It'll be better than the previous covenant. Each covenant God made was better than the previous one. I've said that before. I'm just saying it again. It doesn't mean they were done away with. But as he lays out this new promise, the new covenant in Jeremiah is a prophecy in Hebrews. That prophecy is restated in Hebrews. It says, I will put my laws into their minds. It doesn't say, I will do away with the laws. And they don't need them. It says, I'll put them in their minds and I'll write them on their hearts. So let's get into this law discussion a little bit. Because most people are going to argue that the law was done away with by the new covenant. But right here, God is promising the old covenant covenant and the new covenant what we'll call the old and new testament that his law will be put into their minds sounds a little conflicting again so let's go to matthew five seventeen because this is where clear jesus clearly says i did away with the law okay central verse to this discussion first of all though this discussion this verse didn't say anything about covenants okay just to be clear it only talks about the law here And if we separate those, which most people don't, this is important. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What does the word fulfill mean? Say again. Oh, she's ahead of the game. (laughs) Oh, can somebody, though, just be honest and tell me you were taught in church. It means completed, done, done. Okay, <laughs> you're, you're like Parker, you're spoiling my sermon. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Abolish, the Greek word is kataloo, it means to dissolve. Don't worry, I'm going to give you the Greek and I'm going to go back and read it with the right words in there. Jesus says abolish, the right word is dissolve. Law, the Greek word nomos means God's instructions. Fulfill, we're going to go Greek before we go Hebrew. Greek means to fill up fill it up to call God, cause god's will to be obeyed as it should that's a little different than completed right and what did you say fully preach oh so the hebrew translation anybody know matthew is written in hebrew the hebrew translation says i didn't come to abolish him i didn't come to dissolve him i came to fully preach him that's a little different than do away with i don't think i have come to dissolve god's instructions i came to fill them up i came to preach them up make them louder is what i've heard some hebrew scholars say i came to cause god's will to be obeyed as it should so we see this word fulfill and we are taught that it means to complete but it means to fill it up here's a few examples jesus said the law says thou shalt not that thou shalt not kill but i came to fill it up and say if you even have anger in your heart you have murdered did he do away with that law or did he fully preach it fill it up he made it harder so all this greasy grace crap about jesus did away with the law and you ain't got to do nothing now and you just go skate your way into heaven Uh, you might want to read these things that Jesus said with his own words where he made every one of them harder when Jesus said something about the law says thou shalt not commit adultery but I filled it up I fully preached it by saying if you lessen your heart you've done it (laughs) the law says you got to be circumcised we went there a couple of weeks ago this is the one that everybody in America is still okay with Paul says in Romans 2.29 that circumcision is about cutting off the evil in your heart. That's kind of filled up. It's kind of fully preached. It's not so much about the physical activity. It's about what you're doing with your heart, right? When you fully preach God's instructions, it's not about the physical activities you did in the Old Testament, covenant, whatever you want to call it. It's about getting your heart right with this new thing with Jesus. That's the fill it up part. So God changed the sacrifice method with Jesus. We've already discussed that. We don't have goats and sheep and doves and bulls anymore. But guess what? God never promised that the sacrifice method of the old covenant would ch- couldn't change. He never said it couldn't change. He said his covenants don't change. He said his laws were to be written on our hearts in the Old and New Testament. He came to fully preach them to make them filled up. But the sacrifice method can change. You see how this is three different discussions? I hope I haven't lost you on that. It's three different discussions. The sacrifice method has changed. We don't have high priest. Jesus replaced those things. He did so much more. He's our healer. Oh, that was promised in the Old Testament, too. That didn't go away. That just got fully preached. And I'm going to challenge you. Here's your homework for this week. Go find me one law in the Old Testament that's done away with in the New Testament. Find me one. Besides the sacrifice. Any instruction around sacrifice is off limits because that changed. But find me one other thing, one other Old Testament law that doesn't exist in the New. Not a commentary, a scripture. Dissect that scripture, bring it back. I didn't say it wasn't there. I said I haven't found it yet. And by the way, some other things. If you're going to go about where you can eat and all that, you better really dissect those scriptures. You better really dissect them. You better really dissect what God was telling Peter about that dream and going into the Gentiles' house and three or four other ones that people like to throw. So that's your homework, okay? I'm going to give you an example, actually with a, It's Okay, good timing. I'm going to give you an example of why this is dangerous. <laughs> I don't know why I came up with this one, and I pray, God, you want me to use this? And, and we're going with it, okay? Leviticus 18 gives us instructions about sexual sin. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. And we go, agreed, it's in the New Testament. And you shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. That's not in the New Testament. Um, neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with. It's perversion. So in the New Testament, if God's laws and instructions have been done away with, can you have sex with an animal? Okay, I'm not going there. <laughs> People may do it, but can they? Is it Okay. It is not addressed in the New Testament under your new set of rules though. Right? Oh wait, it is because Paul said flee from sexual immorality and how in the world do we know what sexual immorality is if we don't go read Leviticus 18? John 14:15 If you love me, Jesus says, you will obey my nomos, my commandments, my law, my instructions. Yes. Matthew 5, verse 18. I'm literally right there. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus has just said, I didn't come to do away with them. I didn't come to dissolve them. I came to fill them up. And then he says, for truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away. Oh, we talked about forever earlier. But Jesus puts a different stipulation on the law till heaven and earth disappear. Have they? He says not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is accomplished. I guess it's all accomplished. (laughs) Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, these instructions, and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But, Whoever does them and teaches them will be called the greatest or called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But I was taught all my life that righteousness was the Old Testament and Jesus was grace and he replaced righteousness. And Jesus himself just said, I want you to be more righteous than those Pharisees that killed me. How do we reconcile this? Not one instruction will go away. So here's where, here's where it's not arguable for me. I don't want to be the least in the kingdom, okay? I may not be doing enough to be the greatest, but I don't want to be the least, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to teach it. Because if someone teaches it by, this defini- by the definition they're giving, it's a false teacher. And we are warned about that. And we're told to run. The New Testament is pretty much a retelling of the Old Testament with a different sacrifice method a new high priest. That's the way I can kind of sum it up. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, so we don't have to make sacrifices anymore. Jesus is the new high priest. He mediates to God, so I don't have to go give it the sacrifice to the high priest. How does he do it? Through the Holy Spirit. He left us when he went. What's the law for? Paul tells us it points out our sin. It points out our sin, and we were already told that it curses us because we cannot ever fully live out God's instructions. This is the grace part. We are expected to try to be righteous. We're expected to teach it correctly. We're expected to try, and we can't get it all right. Right? So did you hear me? I did not stand up here today and say, you've got to get every law right. We're back to the Old Testament, and you're going to go to hell if you can't. No, that's why the grace of Jesus is there. He is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the new high priest. The law points out our sin. We can't live out all of God's instruction. The law leads to death. It's a curse without Jesus' blood. I've got to try. I've got to teach you to try, and Jesus' blood covers us when we screw up. Three distinctly different conversations. Covenants, I'm going to plainly state they do not go away. They get built on. I met someone for lunch this week, and he gave me a great way to say it. They're stacked. They're built on. They're stacked. They're not done away with. Then we got this second thing of the law, and the law has not been completed. It's been made louder, filled up. It's been fully preached. And now we have the sacrifice method and the high priest are changed. That's the third piece. Jesus replaced the old sacrifice method. Thank you, God. Because I can't find enough bulls and doves and goats and sheep to just for this week. And I and I don't know where the high priest lives, so thank you. I don't have to go to the high priest. Praise God he did this or we'd be doomed to hell. But here's the problem. If you teach the first thing of the old covenant being replaced, that's called replacement theology, and that's very, very dangerous. Because as Western mind thinkers, we're going to complete our service today, and then we're going to go eat. And when we eat, we'll complete that, and we will go home. We're always looking for the next thing to complete. The Jewish mindset is, I'm looking to do it again. And Solomon himself said, there's nothing new under the sun. Okay? Okay. So we have to be careful because if you tell me that Jesus replaced the old covenant, then who replaces Jesus? Because if I go with the I finish this, now start this, I finish this, now start this, then Jesus has to finish too. And he, and Scripture says he's there forever. He was there in the beginning, so he didn't just come about with the new covenant, and he's there forever. The covenants are stacked. They're built on. They're not replaced. The law is filled up. Jesus is the new sacrifice. And I'm going to give you one last analogy just because I get hit all the time on why I don't have to call him Yeshua because his name is Jesus. That's why I've called him all his life. And I'm like, well, if you went to Mexico and you met a guy named Juan, and you said, hey, John, no, my name is Juan, out of respect, you'd be like, okay, I'll call you Juan. But American ones would call that John. But you would most likely go, well, if you want me to call you Juan, I'll call you Juan. Do you get my point? Juan, John, Yeshua, Jesus. It there's nothing there it says we've got to call him that. I'm just saying, why wouldn't I call him by his real name? And I'm going to end with a picture. I showed this during pre-service. It says the devil's not fighting religion. He's too smart for that. He's just reproducing a counterfeit Christianity. It's so much like the real one. The good Christians are afraid to speak out against it because that would not be loving, right? So, guys, I think, and I'm sorry, I know this is long, but I think this is a hugely important discussion that we understand. Because if I don't understand this, then why am I all fired up about God's promises he gives me? Why would I even read the Old Testament? you have the blood of Yeshua to cover when you fail because the law is cursed I mean it makes us cursed without him okay so father we thank you I thank you that you gave us instructions I thank you that you give us promises and I thank you that you've given us courage to stand firm in your word not what others are teaching I want what's real And these people want what's real. We're tired of the counterfeit. We're tired of what we've been told. I'm not mad at anybody that taught me wrong. I'm not doubting anything. I'm just saying, God, I want to go deeper. As I learn, the most important thing is I accept Jesus as my Savior, but now I want to know him more, and I want to know him deeper. And if I know he came to fill it up, I want to fill it up. Because I want to please you, God. I want to show you that I love you by keeping your instructions. I want you to be my God because I keep your instructions. So, Father, I know this creates this tension of the law versus grace and righteousness versus grace, but I'm praying that you will show us how to walk in your righteousness while relying on your grace. We all show grace to each other, sometimes not to ourselves, (laughs) but to each other. So, Father, help us to strive to be more like your instructions, to try as hard as we can, to teach it as hard as we can, and to rely on Jesus when we fail, which is all the time. Father, thank you for your word, for your instructions, for your covenants, your promises for the new sacrifice method. In Yeshua's holy name we pray, amen.